This episode is brought to you by Crimped. Crimped is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. If you are a self-coached climber or interested in training for the very first time, Crimped was designed to give you a professional training experience right there in your pocket. All of the workouts in the app are crafted by world-class climbers and coaches. Tom Randall, who's been on the show, and his partner Ollie Tor of Lattice Training. You can find workouts that are tailored to help you improve your endurance, power endurance, strength, power, conditioning, mobility, finger strength, you name it, it's in the app. With Crimped, training on your own has never been easier. Check out crimped.com, that's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store and get started with your training. This episode is also brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I have been taking the Fizzy Vantage Supercharged Collagen every day for several months now, and I love knowing that my tendons and my ligaments have all the building blocks they need to get stronger. Collagen provides glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, which make up roughly one-third to two-thirds of the structures of our tendons and ligaments, and it's very hard to get the optimal amount of those amino acids without supplementation, even if you follow a very healthy diet. In short, if you want stronger and healthier fingers, Try taking collagen. Try taking it an hour before your training and see if it helps. There's no downside. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Amity Warm. Amity is one of those dark horses who you may not have heard of, but she is a total badass. I first learned about Amity this summer after her incredibly successful season in Yosemite. I had multiple friends reach out to me and say, Dude, check out Amity's tick list from the season. You've got to have her on the podcast. So I did, and it truly is one of the more impressive tick lists I've ever seen. I won't go into it right now because I do share it right at the top of the episode. But yeah, we talked about her first full season in Yosemite and what she learned, what it was like to send Freerider and Golden Gate ground up and what she learned from the experience and how she thinks she will prepare for her next Yosemite trip because she's got some awesome successes under her belt. She's got bigger goals for next time and she knows how to prepare for these objectives. So we talked about that a lot. Amity also has a background in gymnastics. We talked about growing up in gymnastics, some of the injuries that she's dealt with from gymnastics, but also some of the things that have served her in her climbing. I was curious to hear about some of the exercises that she has continued to do that help her with her climbing, as well as some of the weaknesses that she's planning on training. She's never really trained before and is planning on training this winter for the first time. So interesting to hear how she's thinking about that as someone who's 
already climbed 513 plus and free climbed multiple routes on El Cap. And she also just finished a master's in nutrition. So we talked about nutrition and the prevalence of underfueling that she's noticed in many of her climbing friends and partners and how she's been trying to help and what she's changed for herself. She eats a lot more than she used to. She has tons of energy and she feels really awesome and she's crushing. So really interesting to hear about that as well as some of her other nutrition recommendations. And... That's about it. I really enjoyed this episode. Amity was nervous. She has never done a podcast interview before, and I think she did a really great job. I really enjoyed talking to her and getting to know her better, and I thought she had a lot of really valuable stuff to share. Before we dive in, I have another patron shout-out to share this week, this time for Scott Donahue. Scott's an old buddy of mine, and he recently bumped up his pledge to the $30 a month He's supporting The Nugget and Climbing for Change and Sacred Rock all in one, and it's awesome. I appreciate you, Scott, for going above and beyond to support the show and these other awesome organizations, Climbing for Change and Sacred Rock. If you have been loving the show and want to help out, you can learn more about the different ways you can do that. Head over to thenuggetclimbing.com and click on the support the podcast button at the top of the page. You can find your way to Patreon and learn all about that from that page. There's also a way to make one-time donations and some other ways you can help out for free. You can leave reviews or share the podcast with your friends. All those things really go a long way to helping out the show. Thank you guys for tuning in today. And without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with energy expenditure enthusiast Amity Warm. You're in a house. I know. It's crazy. We're up in uh, Washington at Connor's folks place. Oh, okay. Okay, that was going to be my first question. Where in the world is Amity Warm? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've been in Washington. How long have you guys been up there? Uh, just before Christmas. Okay. Yeah, so doing some skiing and we're actually building a tension board up here at their place. Oh, sick. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Are you like itching to climb? Have you been climbing at gyms and stuff? Yeah, I got in a couple of days at the gym. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been rainy and snowy and kind of gnarly out. Yeah. I know. My, I'm from uh, Wenatchee. My parents got 25 inches of snow at their house like a week ago. It's been crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I think it's the most snow since like 1986 or something. Like something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Do you have snow on, on the west side? Yeah, it was like a full week of snow on the ground, which doesn't ever happen. Wow. Wild. How's Waco? Waco's been great. Waco's awesome. I love it here. <laughs> I haven't, I, have I grew to. up skiing and uh, I think my parents, you know, are like, how can you, how can you not be skiing? I haven't missed it much. I haven't missed winter. The last <laughs> two winters I've been down here and man, I tell you what, it's pretty easy to get used to waking up in the sun and going on walks in the sun and being in shorts 
during January. It's it's pretty great. So yeah, I'm having a great trip so far. I've been here about a week. Good. Okay. Yeah. I've actually only ever rope climbed at Wicko Tanks. That sounds about right. That doesn't surprise me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever go bouldering? Yeah, actually, we were just in Red Rocks for like 10 days and we were bouldering out there. It was super fun. Nice. Yeah, I got pretty stoked about it. Is it easy for you to click into a goal, an objective, a project and kind of switch modes with something new like that? Uh, I don't know. It was more, the approach there was more just like kind of having fun. There wasn't really a, an objective, but it was definitely fun to, I don't know, switch it up. And I, one of the things I appreciate about climbing is just the space to try really, really hard. And that is what bouldering is good for. So yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I don't know. I haven't bouldered a lot, mostly because I've had a couple ankle surgeries. So I just like right. repetitive landing on my foot is not really recommended. So that's why I haven't bouldered a lot. But right. It is fun. I like it. Yeah, I remember that from our first conversation. We can circle back to all that. And uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, that comes from your gymnastics days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's circle back to that. But Amity, really good to have you here. We've just rolled right into it as I like to do. I'm already recording. But yeah, good to have you here. Are you all you feeling good? Ready to go? Yeah, I am super nervous. I'm <laughs> definitely a Gumby and I get nervous talking, but I appreciate you having me on. So. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. If it makes you feel better, I get nervous before every single one of these and I've done a lot of them. <laughs> so yeah. You're doing great. You're good at talking. And I think this is going to be great. I have some fun notes and you're very smart. And I think it's going to be an awesome conversation. So thanks. I appreciate it. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I still get nervous be before all of these. I, it, I go through this kind of cycle every single time of talking to someone, like getting excited about having someone on, getting to know them a little bit like we did a few weeks ago. And that feeling really fun and like, oh, cool, this is going to be really interesting. I have all these notes now. And then the day before, I get almost a sense of dread, like, oh, God, I have to do another interview. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> that lasts about like 12 to 24 hours. And then I wake up that morning and I make my coffee and I start kind of like polishing my notes and kind of getting my head in that space. And then I get really excited again. And I'm like, oh, this person's really interesting. This is just a conversation with someone cool. This is going to be really fun. And then it gets it gets really exciting and fun. So, yeah. What about it makes you nervous beforehand? I don't know. It's almost like having an exam tomorrow or something. You know, it's like being put on the spot. Like, I'm, well, am I going to sound... ask the questions. I know, but it it's still like you press that little red recording button and it's like, oh, God, what are people going to think? And am I going to sound like an idiot? It's all those same things, even though I can edit it all out later. Yeah. <laughs> two years later and I still feel that every single time but yeah well you're doing a good job thank you you do get a little more comfortable with it luckily that's good uh, but I wanted to start by sharing with people kind of the first impression that I had of you and how I how you came on my radar and how I got to know a little bit about your climbing and I just want to read the first Instagram post that I saw of you and I can't remember if it was Sean Jean Lee SJ who put you on my radar or who it was. I think a couple different people late last summer in 2021, maybe July, were like, 
dude, you have to have Amity on the show. You have to check <laughs> this person out. She just crushed Yosemite. It's amazing. So I want to read your post from June 28th, 2021. And you wrote, Yosemite season tick list, Golden Gate, 513A, 36 pitches, ground up. Free Rider, 13A, 31 pitches, ground up. Nyad, that's nose in a day in 11 hours and 45 minutes. The Niels Teats Memorial Route, aka the Nexus, 13A slash B, 9 pitches. The Frontal Frontier, 13A slash B, 9 pitches. The Dream Team, 13A, 10 pitches. Scarface Free, 512, 9 pitches. Wayward Sun, 512, 14 pitches. The crucif- I'm getting tired just reading this. The Crucifix, 512, <laughs> five pitches. Freestone, 511, eight pitches. Serenity Crack to Sons of Yesterday, 510D, eight pitches. And then you have an asterisk. Various other mellow multi-pitch and cragging days. Total pitch count, 350 plus. And then you wrote, I arrived in the Valley on April 10th with few plans and few partners. I drove away on June 3rd with new friends, new skills, and new stoke for big wall climbing. I'm super grateful for the opportunity I had to explore this incredible place, and I'm already dreaming about next time. So, Amity, my first question is, how is it that you get such good climbing photos? Because that photo (laughs) that you made for that post of you on the A5 Traverse on Golden Gate is gorgeous it's amazing and then if you look at your instagram it's just this array of beautiful photos and i want to know how you do that is that something you make an effort to do or when you get as good as you are at climbing do photographers just stop start popping out of the bushes and surprising you at your camp or like how how have you done that because you have when i first saw your feed i was like this is incredible these are some of the coolest photos of you know trad climbs in indian creek and on el cap that i've ever seen so Anyway, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that. It's actually something we've really had to work on. Um, most of the time, it's just Connor, my husband, and I out climbing. Like the majority of the climbing that I do is just the two of us, and there's no one there to take photos. Like we don't have photographs of the majority of the climbing that we do. And as I've started to like push into this, you know, like starting to work with a couple sponsors and, you know, like wanting to push the athlete thing a little bit more. We've had to like really work on making connections with different photographers and, you know, social media is like the platform for getting your name out as an athlete now. And I mean, up until like two years ago, I didn't have a social media account. Like I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't post anything until probably whatever I don't know, three years ago maybe and uh yeah the, the getting photos is definitely the crux of being able to post and I think that's why I don't post super often is because I try to only put something up when there is like when I feel like I have something to say and when I feel like I have a photo that is worth sharing not like I don't know, just kind of like these junky filler images yeah. Yeah. So I guess I try and whatever I'm putting out there, I try to make it quality. Felipe, who is one of the photographers that he's just the, he's a friend from Colorado that we met out climbing one time. And he's actually the one that's taken quite a few of those photos, including those ones from Golden Gate. And <laughs> his first time on El Cap was 
Tyler, the friend that I climbed Golden Gate with, we ran into Felipe in Yosemite right after we'd come down from Golden Gate. And I was like, man, like you got to come up and take photos. Like we just did this. It was super cool. Like we got to get you up on El Cap. And uh, <laughs> he agreed to come up and yeah, it was his first time on El Cap. I uh, was coming down over the edge to take photos on Golden Gate. So wow. he had quite the experience with that. Well, he nailed it. He got one of the coolest <laughs> photos of El Cap I've ever seen. I mean, you on the A5 Traverse, it's it's awesome. The lighting's perfect. It's like right as the sun is coming around the corner of El Cap. And yeah, awesome. I'll have to check out more of his stuff. Yeah, I've really I've really enjoyed seeing, seeing your photos. Um, Thanks. Man. I appreciate it. <laughs> and of course, that was like all kind of tongue in cheek, but it is really interesting to me because I think, yeah, I guess I was curious, like, have you just tried to collaborate with people that you've met or have you gone out of your way at all to seek out photographers? And how does that sort of thing come about? Are you like pitching something to them? Like, are you paying, paying these people or are they just like kind of psyched to be along for the adventure? How does all that work? I really haven't reached out to any, I haven't reached out to any professional photographers or anything. Mostly. Yeah. Just friends we've met along the way who are, psyched to hang up on a rope and shoot some photos yeah but yeah nothing really like no serious attempts to reach out to anyone okay i think the takeaway for me is be a badass and then the photographers will come i think that's (laughs) i think that's part of well partly we i think connor and i will like do a lot of the work you know like we'll like get the static rope up and Ah, you know make sure the photographer is all set up to like have a successful chance to photograph also, you know, like I think there is a lot of work behind the scenes that we're willing to help do. Cause it's not like we're paying someone to come out and do this for us, you know? So there's a lot of kind of work that we put in to make it happen as well. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's good. Uh, good insight, I guess. But yeah, man, that Yosemite tick list. When I first saw that, I think Whoever it was that first told me about you, and this is absolutely not to take away anything from Emily Harrington because she's such a badass, but they were like, yeah, Amity's basically, she rolled into Yosemite and like did everything that Emily's ever done in in her whole career in one season. And you kind of have like your tick list from that one season from less than, from less than two months is just incredible. And I had a bunch of questions about that. I think the first thing I guess I just want to clarify or, or fact check a couple things. You had never been to Yosemite before. Is that true? I'd been there for like two, just over two weeks, two, like two years ago. So like spring of 2019, I guess. Okay. But yeah, I mean, nothing really. We did Astro Man and I don't, nothing like really of note, <laughs> but <laughs> nothing, nothing major. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you this. I want I'm curious about learning moments and things that you took away from uh, from such an immersive season. But first, I'll ask you, what were some of the skills and experiences that you already had under your belt that felt like prerequisites for what you did this season in Yosemite? Well, yeah, definitely back to your comment of not wanting to take away from what Emily Harrington has done. Learning moment was definitely that doing golden gate in a day is super impressive. Like what she did and her and Jordan Cannon doing that in a day is super cool. So props to them. Nice. That's awesome. Does that, uh, did that inspire a a future goal for you? Yeah, I think 
I would definitely try it. There's a lot of other things I want to try first, but I would definitely circle back to it and try it sometime. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Yeah. Coming into it, I think, I think one of my strengths in climbing is kind of like an all day fitness. Like I'm not the most powerful climber. I don't have like crazy finger strength. I, I don't know. I'm not like this crazy boulder, but I have the like all day fitness where I don't like, I can do all the extra work. I can climb, I can haul, like I can do all the, that energy taxing work and still have like the fitness and the energy to keep going. So I think that's a big thing for both for an LCAT mission, but also just for kind of this day in day out climbing that I was doing in Yosemite. One of the biggest factors in success on climbing a big wall is like a willingness to suffer, mm-hmm. like a willingness to be uncomfortable for days at a time and like still keep working hard and being psyched. And, you know, like you don't sleep perfectly and you don't, you're eating like weird food that's dehydrated. And I don't know, you're just never like comfortable while you're up there. And I think like a willingness to press into that and still be psyched and gung ho to keep going is kind of a key factor. Where does that come from for you? Does that feel like something that you've just always had as part of your personality or interest? Or is that something you've built and, and cultivated and chosen? Um, I guess it feels pretty natural to who I am. I, <laughs> I think I'm a pretty like low maintenance person in general. So, <laughs> uh, I think it comes pretty naturally, but I've also, I mean, I've always grown up, like, I think we'll talk about it later, but grown up doing gymnastics and just putting, you know, hours and hours of work in day after day and, kind of seeing the long-term goal rather than needing this like immediate gratification and comfort and Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess partly from, yeah, growing up in gymnastics, but also it's just kind of natural. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, I do have that on my list. Let's, I want to tackle a handful of Yosemite questions first, and then I want to backtrack to how you got into climbing and even before that, uh, gymnastics and growing up with gymnastics and some of the things that you learned and have taken with you from that. Uh, But first off, can you give us a sense of your climbing accomplishments and ability leading into this Yosemite season? Like just from as far as other trad routes, single pitch, hard trad routes you'd done. I know you'd done some stuff on the diamond, I I believe, before Yosemite. Um, What are some of those? I guess, stepping stones or other things that you've done that you felt like you were able to pull from showing up in Yosemite just to to kind of paint a picture of experience for people. Yes. Done several things on the diamond. Um, I grew up in Colorado, so kind of in my backyard and yeah, I guess my intro and I don't know, coming into climbing was much more, like trad and sport focused. Um, So that's always kind of like the base I've built is this sport and trad, I guess, base of climbing. 
notable like hard trad I guess is I've done uh enter the dragon and the fins which is like a 13 plus it gets an r rating it's like some pretty I don't know I it was like that was a big climb for me as far as single pitch trad is that at the fins um, Idaho the fins yeah yeah well Jonathan Seeger Street yeah it's awesome it looks amazing. I remember his first blog post about that back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. I've done quite a bit of time in Indian Creek, just climbing cracks, which I think it somewhat translates to Yosemite. Like, obviously, in Indian Creek, you just have these like crazy splitter cracks. So you're forced to learn the technique for every size of crack from, you know, thin tips, cracks up to off with, you're kind of like forced to learn the technique of it. Cause you can't really cheat any of the climbing, you know, you can't like use a face hold to climb and off with in the creek because there are no face holds. So you're kind of forced to learn the good technique of cracks there, but it is super different than translating it to granite. I've done quite a bit of climbing in the South Platte outside of Colorado Springs and Denver in the like kind of front range area, which is some like really cool granite crack and sport climbing. Um, Yeah. I've climbed out there a little bit. Yeah. I just do like a a lot of climbing, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. Massive base. Yeah. Yeah, let me let me ask you this. So from your tick list, you kind of listed everything in descending order from like most impressive on downward. I mean, they're all impressive, but from like Golden Gate, then you kind of went down the list. What was your strategy showing up in Yosemite having not climbed there very much? Did you kind of build your way up to something like Golden Gate doing harder and harder and longer climbs? How did that roll out? How did your season kind of unfold? Uh, kind of, like I said, I really didn't have any plans going into Yosemite it was like I guess this is funny so Connor's dad is good friends with Hans Florine from like way back when and Hans was up in Washington for a yeah, medical thing in March I guess and we were up here visiting Connor's family Hans was staying with Connor's family as well so we got to hang out with him and hear some stories. And that was the first time I'd ever met him. And he like, yeah, like you should, you should go to Yosemite this spring. Like, why not? And Connor had a work obligation lined up in Colorado already. So he wasn't going to be able to go, but I didn't really have any plans. And I was in school still finishing my master's, but everything was remote. So I, there was nothing tying me to a certain location. So yeah, Hans was like, yeah, you should go to Yosemite and, you know, just go climb. I was like, all right, like that sounds like a great idea. So, uh, I was like two weeks later, we'd gone back to Colorado and then I drove out to Yosemite and, uh, showed up there and first linked up with Will Sharp. I don't know if you've met him, but He's a great dude. And yeah, we did that Scarface free on Liberty Cap was our first climb. And then he'd already been there for a couple of weeks. So he was like, he was in the groove. He was raring to go. And he had been up on Free Rider 
the previous season. So he like, he had it pretty dialed. Like he knew what he was doing. He was ready to go. And that was his big goal for the season. So I think, uh, I think we just did Scarface and then it looks like there's going to be a good weather window and I don't know, everything kind of lined up. I wasn't like quite ready to go for a free rider yet, but timing wise and weather wise, it, it was going to work out. So we decided to go for it. And, uh, I actually, I managed to put it together, but I definitely thought I was going to get shut down on the boulder problem. Like, I guess I went into it just kind of like, I'll go check it out. Like, this will be a good experience, kind of learning how to be on a big wall, like learning what it's going to take to climb El Cap. And, but mostly like, awesome. Like, this is a good experience and go support Will. Like, I know he's going to do it. You know, I want to be up there and be able to support him. So kind of went into it with that mentality. So it wasn't, it didn't feel like a huge pressure on me to be able to send it. But then put the boulder problem together kind of like last minute with the help of two other friends that we met also up there. They figured out some better beta that I ended up using. And they actually blamed me on the send when I sent the boulder problem pitch. And that was uh, Sam and Adrian who are two like young buck, like two of the most stoked, tenacious young climbers I've ever met. They're awesome. Like they're going to go places in rock climbing. Like people are going to know who they are. That's awesome. Um, yeah, they're super When you cool. say young buck, like what, how old are these they're people? They're like 21. Like I feel super old. With them. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't shared your age yet. How old are you? 28? I'm 28. Yeah. <laughs> they make me feel old they're just like i like i feel like i'm always stoked but like these guys are always stoked i love that totally <laughs> totally yeah anyway ended up doing free rider and then i don't know we will and i were like we were in the groove for yosemite climbing like we had our systems pretty dialed and we ended up doing several other climbs together like we did nose in a day and final frontier like several of those other climbs were with will and then i don't know i didn't have any like thoughts or goal or anything of going for golden gate kind of did all those other climbs and then right it was starting to get hot i was like all right like i've been here a while i'm kind of ready to leave and then tyler carow who I climbed Golden Gate with. I'd met him there in the valley, like just whatever the couple months that I was there. And he was friends with Will. So he was like, hey, like, I want to go try and free a route on El Cap. He's like super experienced aid climber. He's done a ton of climbing. Like uh, he did like 11 different routes on El Cap this season, wow. like aid climbing. Like it's insane, but he never free climbed any of them. And, uh, he, he's only, before we climbed Golden Gate, he'd only ever climbed like two pitches of 513 before that. Wow. He was like, hey, like, I want to go try and free El Cap. Like, let's go to Golden Gate. Are you in? I was like, yeah, sure. And he chose Golden Gate. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, he was going for it. And uh, so like two days later, we were packing up and hauling up to heart ledges and we were going for it 
he also sent Golden Gate, which was like super impressive. It was wild. That's yeah, amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Had you done any of the hauling? Like, had you set up portal edges, any of that stuff before that first time up the free rider with Will? So the two weeks we were there, Connor and I were there in like 2019. We started up a uh, father time on Middle Cathedral, mm. kind of just not with any intention of like sending it. I don't think like that was pretty far beyond my capacity at that point, but more just to have like the, like the experience of going up a big wall. And, uh, but I really didn't do much of the work. Like I really didn't do any of the hauling. Connor was uh, coming off a finger injury. So he wasn't climbing a whole lot. I don't know. We were kind of just up there like to have this experience, but he ended up doing like most of the, you know, climbing or sorry, the hauling and logistical work. So I really hadn't done, like, I didn't know how to set up a two to one haul system and I didn't know how to set up a portal edge and like Will shot, Will Sharp taught me how to haul on like the slider rail of his van, like the day that we were packing <laughs> to go up free rider. <laughs> wow. Like, I mean, like taught me how to set up a portal edge, like the first night that we were camping up there and, um, like shout out to him for his like patience and ability to teach me those skills because they don't come naturally to me. So, well, I don't know. I mean, you must be a quick <laughs> learner if you figured it out like day one of going ground up on like, the free I rider. Like, <laughs> <jump a rope. laughs> like, wow. So I just felt like this complete Gumby, like starting up it. And it's like, well, I know how to rock climb, but that's about it. <laughs> wow. I'm going to mix in some questions that I got from patrons. I got a lot of questions for you. This is really? this is really fun. That's yeah, funny. a lot, like like a dozen questions or something. Um, I don't think we'll be able to get to all of them, but I'll mix in as many as I can. This is a question from Cody, and I think you just kind of answered it with that story, but I'll just ask it anyway. Cody asks, what is the best way to acquire the hard skills for multi-pitch and big wall climbing? Sounds like it's just oh, to find so a partner who knows the things and just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of climbing, you know, it's like, like learning the skills and climbing is finding someone who can teach you. And like you hear all these stories of people like learning from YouTube and that's totally possible, but it's definitely, at least for me, like learning style that I have, it's definitely helpful for me to have someone show me and like watch me do it and make sure that I'm doing it right. Yeah. That, I don't know. That was helpful for me, but mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's, having someone who's willing to take the time to show you is really helpful. What were some of the biggest learning moments of the season for you? Do any stand out? I think what we just touched on, like a ton of technical skills, how to effectively pack a haul bag and yeah, haul efficiently and set up camp on a big wall and all those technical skills were super important. But I think, one of the biggest takeaways was just that it's always worth like being willing to go for it. I didn't think I could climb El Cap, <laughs> you know, like going into the, like driving to Yosemite, I had no reasonable belief that I was going to climb El Cap once, much less like three times in the season, you know? Wow. So I, I think just being willing 
to go for it. And I think that applies more than just on a big wall. Like that's, that can be trying a hard boulder problem or a hard sport pitch or, Mm. you know, like being willing to push yourself beyond what you think you're maybe capable of because you don't know until you try it. Yeah. I think that's a big one. Just kind of always being willing to go for it even and being willing to say like, like kind of redefine what success is to you. Like Mm. if success to you is always having to send it, like maybe you don't want to go for it because you don't want to be like fail and not send. But if you're willing to kind of define success as having given your best effort and learn something regardless of what it was, I, I don't know. I think that just that ability to like redefine success is really important. And something that I'm always working on. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that example that you just gave, is that how you were trying to define success on Freerider and Golden Gate? Just give your best and learn from the experience? Definitely Freerider. I really had no expectations going into that. By the time I was doing Golden Gate, like at the very end of the trip, I, I definitely had more expectations for myself. I don't know. I think that's a really hard line or concept to, mm. to work with of like in climbing, you know, you have to want something badly enough to, to be uncomfortable and to work really hard and like pour your heart and soul into something, but at the same time, not be super attached to the outcome, you know, like not letting that define you or who you are. And I think that's, like one of the biggest things that I struggle with in my approach to climbing is like, how do I care a lot about something, but not like, how do I detach myself from the outcome? You know? Mm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, totally. The the double-edged sword for someone like you, who's as yeah. <laughs> driven as you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's circle back to that as well. I'll, I'll put a bookmark on that. I'd love to explore that more deeply. Um, I wanted to ask you this. When you think about having talked about like what your climbing was looking like before Yosemite and the things that you'd already done, you'd already climbed 13 plus trad, um, maybe even harder than that. Um, You'd already done some big walls. You learned all these skills from great mentors on the wall. You have this great in a day capacity that that you've kind of always had, but have also built over years and years as a climber. When you think about like free climbing El Cap, what weight would you give to each of those different ingredients? Like climbing, just technical climbing ability versus logistics and efficiency and hard skills of big wall climbing and things like that versus just being able to have a ton of grit and work really hard and suffer and, and things along those lines. You know, like hearing that story of Tyler who had climbed two five thirteen pitches ever and then he goes for golden gate which has like at least that many on the climb and he's going to climb 30 of them in a row or whatever yeah where would you put like what distribution would you give to those different slices of the pie so to speak and are there any other ingredients in there that you think were really important oh that's a good question um oh man i mean obviously you have to have like a certain level of climbing ability to think you're gonna go climb a 513 on El Cap, like, I think your margin has to be pretty high, like between what you're capable of and what you're climbing on El Cap. Like you have to have some reserve in the tank to be able to climb, like execute 513 
after living on the wall for five days. You know, like there has to be some kind of margin there. So obviously that like you have to have some level of climbing ability to go for an objective like that. But honestly, like the logistical side of it is almost as crucial. Like Tyler and I made a super good team on Golden Gate because I kind of brought this like hard free climbing experience, I guess, to the team. But he brought this like really skilled rope work and logistical knowledge. So, you know, I kind of had like more of the beta for how to like work a hard pitch and, you know, how we would like project each of these hard pitches as we were going up the wall and like a little bit of the, I don't know, like one of the like super important things of like climbing El Cap is energy efficiency, right? So I think that comes in both in the free climbing, but also in the logistical side. Like, I guess in the climbing side of that, it's like, you know, you can't just, you know, come down and come back to the crack the next day or the next week and try the pitch again. Like you're up there and you like, you got to put it down, like to keep moving forward. So the like energy and skin efficiency is a big thing with that. Mm. But then the energy efficiency that you save in the logistical side of it, of like not getting your bags stuck while you're hauling them and like just the rope maintenance and those kinds of things, like you can save a ton of energy on that end as well. And that energy you're saved and you can put into the climbing. I don't know. I would like almost weight climbing ability and logistical prowess as like equal mm -hmm. <laughs> in big wall climbing, I think. Yeah. Would you be able to share one or two tangible examples of both? So let's start with this. Like, what do you think you taught Tyler as far as skin efficiency, beta efficiency, tactics, things like that? Anything come to mind? <laughs> so like working the down climb, which is like the first 513 pitch on Golden Gate. It's after like a full day of climbing. You, it's, so you did like a full day and then we spent the night and then the down climb was like the next pitch after that. And it's this crazy slab down climb. You do, it's like a reverse pistol squat. Like my left butt cheek was sore for like a week after working this pitch because it's just this reverse pistol squat. And I tried it over and over and over because it's just super easy to pop off in the middle of the move every single time. And uh, so we're like working that pitch. I was willing to like keep going for it. And I was like, you know, like we got to figure out the right beta and the right body position and, you know, trying different foot sequences, hand sequences, just like being willing to play with it over and over and over and kind of think outside the box of, how to do it. And, uh, I don't know if Tyler would have been willing to, you know, kind of keep going at the same pitch over and over and over. Like that's not his, hasn't been his approach to climbing previously. Uh, you know, like he's done a lot of aid climbing you're just like, you just keep going, you know, you're not trying to send the pitch. So I think me being able to encourage him to try a different beta and try brushing the holds like he he'd never brushed a hold ever <laughs> before trying this down climb pitch <laughs> so yeah i think just some of those tactics and approaches to being willing to try it 
multiple times was good for him. And then I, I guess like working the A5 traverse up higher, it's like the last 513 pitch. He had this whole system figured out of how we were going to be able to work it multiple times because it's like this fully traversing pitch. And once the climber gets to the end of it, it'd be super hard to get back over to the start to belay the first person or the next person without some sort of like rope system in place. So his like ability to think through that and the, the way to make that most efficient was super helpful. Um, Can you describe what you did? I'm, I'm trying to envision that. Yeah. So <laughs> we actually use our tagline, which we had the tagline that the leader would pull up to then set up the haul kit and haul the haul bags. So we use that tagline and like fixed a mic or like fixed ourselves on a micro track to that. So the eyes were being lowered. You are still attached to both the belay and the end of the anchor at the end of the pitch. And the, the tagline was just like loose in between them, but it was attached to both points. So as you're being lowered, you are also on the micro track on that tagline. So you were able to pull yourself back over to the first belay. Okay. Okay. So that worked super well. And then he also, he was like way more chill and able to just like hang out on the side of the wall. I was like, you know, I just like wanted to gun it and keep going all the time. And he was like, no, like we're going to hang out here and just like enjoy chilling on this ledge and like enjoy this experience. And I think that was, that was helpful for me to just like slow down and be able to enjoy it instead of getting, I don't know, just like getting amped about keeping going all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing that really stands out about those two ascents for you is that they were ground up. And that's something I wanted to ask you about. And I got a listener question about that as well, because I'm just curious where that ethic comes from and why it was important to you to do it that way. It's not abnormal for people to go ground up on kind of like a first recon of a hard free climbing route, but it seems pretty rare that people actually go ground up and like free it the first time, you know, they, they go ground up, they do a mix of like French free aid, free climbing, whatever, just to get to the top and then they'll work pitches and then, you know, go on a push, etc. So I'm going to read this question from Nolan. Nolan writes, I'm psyched to see people still care about climbing ground up. And I'm curious if that's something you've always been around from mentors or home areas, or if that's something you've adopted along the way. I think uh, kind of what you hear a lot when you like talk to people about going ground up is like, I don't know, like preserving the sense of adventure, like not having it all figured out. And I do appreciate that. I think the ability to figure it out as you're on the go and I don't just like not having everything perfectly teed up. Like it's, it's way more mentally and physically I get, yeah, I guess like of an adventure is a good way to put it. Um, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what the next crux is, pitch is going to feel like until you get there. And I guess I appreciate that challenge, but I also, I don't know. I don't feel like I grew up like in the climbing world and I, I don't know. I didn't like grow up with this like ethic of like, it has to be ground up. Like, I don't know. And I, I do respect like, 
I still respect people that are going down from the top and figuring it out. And I think that is also a very important aspect to the sport. Like a lot of things are being sent because they're being like, people are being able to work them from the top and not having to, you know, take weeks worth of supplies to go live on the wall to, you know, be able to figure out these really hard climbs. And I think there's maybe a couple more lines on El Cap that I could do ground up, but uh, you know, at a certain point, there probably does come a time when I have to, you know, spend time figuring out a, a crux pitch or whatever before I'm able to do it from the ground, just because my margin, you know, my margin was high enough to be able to do Golden Gate and free rider ground up, but I don't know that my margin is high enough to do the nose or, you know, one of these other mm-hmm. like much harder climbs in that style. So I don't know. That's a good question. I, and I guess maybe I don't have a perfect answer to it. I like, I appreciate the experience that I had going ground up, but I'm not saying that's like the only way maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That's cool. This is a question from Rob. Rob asks with her ascent of golden gate and free rider being ground up with no inspection, Did she plan and train for these routes? Did she talk to other ascensionists, videos, or just wing it? Like, did you, I guess what he's getting at is like, what was your preparation process like? Did you still try to learn as much as possible or did you just go for it? Yeah, so going up Freerider with Will, he had already been up it. So he knew, I mean, he knew everything that was coming. He had done a good job, like taking super detailed notes and, like remembering key pieces of information for different sections of it. So I, I definitely had quite a bit of knowledge as we were going up free rider, just secondhand from Will, uh, which was definitely helpful. And then Golden Gate, we talked to Luke Stefferak actually before we'd gone up it and got some beta from him, especially in regards to the hauling because there's so much traversing on golden gate Mm. the hauling can be quite difficult so we talked to him about some of the logistics and i don't know i talked to i guess bronwyn hodgins who had done it just like the week before i did and she had spent quite a bit of time working it so she had quite a bit of beta and good information about it is this like specific move beta or just like overall sense of what to expect yeah, more just overall, I guess. Yeah, I didn't really have like specific move by move beta for any of it. But yeah, more like the general sense of at just some logistic beta, I guess. I don't know. I guess they're probably like between the flash and the on-site <laughs> <laughs> categories, you know? Yeah, yeah. I like this question from Sava. First off, Sava was very excited that you were coming on the show. And Sava writes, love your Golden Gate video, especially the clarity of footage, the lack of music, all the gear rustling and hauling, and just how present and included it makes you feel like you were a part of the process. You seem really relaxed and like you weren't pressured to send or worried about how you would perform. Is that an accurate perception? What was it like climbing with people you didn't know super well? Did you struggle in the off with at all or did the shoe beta just solve it? And then thanks so much. I really hope to see more of your climbs soon. So yeah, (laughs) a a few different questions there. But is that, uh, 
Was her perception, Sava's perception, yeah. was that was that accurate? Well, all the video credit definitely goes to Tyler. He was wearing a GoPro like the whole time we were up there, which was yeah, a super fun way to document it. For the off with, I really struggled on it the first time going up free rider. I <laughs> I was wearing like Scarpa Instincts, which I absolutely love, but they might not have been the right choice for the monster off with. And I also really didn't have good technique climbing it. Like I knew what I was supposed to do, like the whole chicken wing and heel toe. And like, I knew what it was supposed to happen. And I ended up, I let it, I ended up just like power Gaston, like elevator door opening <laughs> the entire 200 foot monster off with. And like I was wrecked. <laughs> uh so I, I knew that if I was ever going to go back up El Cap, like I had to figure out something better. And, uh, I did go with the approach shoe beta the second time for golden gate. And that was a game changer. Like the heel, my heel toe was able to span the gap on both sides of the crack much more comfortably. So, it, I mean, it was like, it was like a much more fun experience the second time. <laughs> I lost a lot less skin. Uh, so yes, that was definitely good beta. As far as feeling relaxed, just like like comfort on the wall. Yeah, totally, totally relaxed. Like, I don't know, heights don't really bother me. I love just like being up on the side of a cliff. So yeah, like comfort level, definitely high. I thought I was going to get shut down on the down climb. Like I, I kind of thought that was going to be the end of the free climbing experience on golden gate. Cause I, I, I mean, I tried it over and over and over and over and like, didn't put it together. And I don't know, finally, finally it clicked. And are we talking about like a bunch of goes within a day or is this like a Kevin Jorgensen pitch 15 sort of situation where you're like taking no, rest I guess, days and sorry, we tried it like, the evening we got to it, like we'd climbed that whole day. We tried it that evening a couple times. Neither of us sent it. And then the next morning we were trying it again. And I don't, in my memory, you know, it, it feels like I tried it, you know, like 50 times. It was probably like eight or 10, mm -hmm. um, but it felt like a ton, but I, I don't know. I got like super discouraged. Like I didn't think I was going to be able to do it because it just felt so improbable. Like, it just feels like you could fall off it repeatedly. And I mean, even now, if I went back up and did it again, like I'm sure I would fall off it several times. It's just like so insecure. So I got super discouraged on that at first. And then we actually both ended up sending it back to back and we were psyched and I don't know, kind of cruised for a while after that. And then the move pitch came together pretty quickly for me. I think I did that like second go. Like by headlamp in the dark, actually. Wow. And then actually on site at the Golden Desert pitch. Wow. The third 513A. And then the A5, though, that. So again, we tried it like, I guess that evening I tried it. And then the next morning I tried it a handful of times. 
And I think I was pretty tired, just, just like cumulative fatigue. And uh, I didn't end up putting it together that morning. Tyler did. And I got super discouraged. Like, I don't know. I was like really worried. I wasn't going to be able to do it. And at that point I was definitely feeling the pressure of like, this is the last hard pitch. Like I really want to do it. We had plenty of food and water. Like we could have been up there like another three days if we wanted to, but definitely felt the pressure there of like being able to put that last hard pitch together. So we hung out that whole day on the, at our bivy. And uh, that's when I was like super anxious. And I don't know, I have a hard time just like waiting around all day to climb like all the time. So that's when it was good to have Tyler, who was just super chill and like totally happy to hang out on the sled on the side of El Cap for an entire day so that I could try the pitch again that evening. Anyway, ended up doing it that evening and we were able to keep going. But that I guess that was like when I felt the most pressure was putting that last hard pitch together. Do you are you someone who who thrives on that? Like it's do or die time? Are you able to channel that pressure into ascend? I don't think I am. I like to get it done before like the last minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. That's man, amazing to hear about all this. It's, it's so cool. Um, I wanted to ask you this. So your first time in Yosemite, not really, you'd been there before, but this season in Yosemite, you show up kind of without having a plan, without having prepared specifically for it in any way. And now you have a taste of what you're capable of. I'm sure you have, you're very goal oriented. That's something else I want to talk to you about later in the conversation too. But I'm sure you have a sense that you're capable of much harder routes on all cap. There's all these amazing things to try to do, do things in a day or do harder free climbs, et cetera. Thinking about going back, given what you learned this season, what do you think you'll do to prepare for the next trip, the next objective in Yosemite? Yeah, that's good. I think going into this next season, which we're hoping to be there in the spring, I want to do a little better job kind of planning ahead and having some goals chosen out. So like a couple of main, like big goals and then some like supporting goals that'll help prepare me for those. So for example, I really want to try El Corazon on El Cap and like going into that knowing one of the cruxes is like this stem corner. I, you know, I want to choose like some supporting goals that'll help me like some other stem corners going into that. That'll help me just practice and be prepared for that challenge. Are those like other single pitches in Yosemite? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just like kind of having a little more of a broad strokes plan going in. Book of Fate comes to mind. Is that on your radar? Oh, man. Am I getting the name right? Is that the thing that Beth Rodden climbs? In, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It looks amazing. I don't know. I, ha- I, I hadn't really put it on the list, but it looks amazing. That would be mega. <laughs> that would be mega. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't mean to derail you. Sorry. No, you're good. Uh I want to use these next couple months leading up to the spring to focus a little more intently on training, which I've never really like trained before. Like I've never really followed a like training program. I've always kind of just climbed a lot. And 
I do want to be a little more intentional in these next couple months to be more specific in my training and kind of develop some of these weaknesses that I would identify in my climbing. Like I said, like that all day energy, full body fitness comes pretty naturally to me, but I don't have this huge margin of like high end power and finger strength. So I kind of want to work on those areas a little bit, which is kind of a, like a big shift in mentality for me of like planning out and like sticking to more of a plan rather than just like trying a lot and making myself super tired, you know, like I've been reading a bunch of Steve Bechtel's information and yeah. I really appreciate his, his line. That's like more isn't better. Better is better. And that's something that I really need to work on, like in my, in my climbing as a whole of like, I, I like to do a lot, but I think as I'm looking to improve, it might be more beneficial to me to like focus on doing less really well, you know, as I'm like trying to get more out of like the high end performance, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of working on like the mental shift as well as some physical aspects going into the next trip. Yeah. I had wanted to circle back to your early days in in gymnastics and growing up in gymnastics. It seems like you must have a foundation of some of that from all that time doing gymnastics. Are you able to kind of tap into an old process or an old mindset that you experienced through gymnastics as far as stripping away the volume and focusing on better versus versus more and strength training and things like that? Yeah, to some degree. I think a lot of gymnastics though is volume mm. and the re- repetitiveness and the repetitions of these skills. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why I'm good at just doing a lot of, of volume, but yeah, I don't know. I That's a good, good question. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. <laughs> that's okay. Well, tell me about gymnastics. When did you start? I started when I was six. So I did it from six to 17. And I actually fractured my back there at the end, which is why I ended up quitting. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was like, I was training like five hours a day, five to six days a week. Like that was my entire life. Wow. From six to 17. How did you get started with it? Is that something that you chose as a little kid or did your parents just sign you up and you just, it clicked and you just ran with it? <laughs> I think I have always been like a very high energy individual. I was always like jumping off the furniture and, <laughs> you know, climbing trees and door frames and climb, I don't know. My parents had no idea that climbing was a sport when I was a child. So they put me in gymnastics. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely loved it for a lot of years. How good were you? I was like training level 10 when I ended up quitting. So it goes like level like four through 10 and then elite where like the elite is where you're going to like, like the world and Olympics and wow. Like I could have gone... I could have gone to college doing it. Can you give us a sense of like what that translates to in climbing grades? 
<laughs> uh, what is what yeah, is level ten like, in the Yosemite decimal system? Uh, probably. I, we're talking. I was probably like thirteen minus. Oh really? Like I was okay. Good, but I wasn't like. I wasn't elite. Okay. You know, I wasn't like your your top tier elite climber. Like I I could have gone to college and done it, but I wasn't ever going to go to the Olympics. That back injury must have been devastating. Yeah, it was. I mean, that gymnastics was my world. Like I went to school, I went to the gym and I came home and did homework every single day for like as much as I can remember of middle and high school like that. That was my entire world. And then, yeah, just like you have it, that identity stripped away from you kind of without warning. Like it's really disorienting. It was my junior year of high school. So the last like year and a half of high school is just like, I have no idea who I am. Like there, (laughs) there was nothing else in my life and like now it's gone. And uh, yeah, I don't know who I am or what I want to do anymore. Wow. I can't imagine. I mean, I feel that way every time I get a finger injury and <laughs> and I started climbing late and have other interests and things like that. So God, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I definitely needed another like, I don't know, outlet. I ended up getting into climbing in college. Uh, so I grew up in Colorado, but yeah, had like no idea that there was a world outside the gym. Like there was no skiing, there was no climbing. Like, oh wow, I did not take advantage of any of the outdoor activities that Colorado has to offer until I went to college in Texas, actually. Uh, and I worked for the Rock Wall on campus there at Baylor University. Okay, and that was yeah how I got introduced to climbing. Did you take to it right away? Yeah. I loved, I, okay. So like there's, you know, the like freshman orientation week or whatever, where they, you, you could go to the rec center and all the different clubs on campus had their booths set up of like rowing club. And I don't know, whatever chess clubs, like whatever clubs were on campus, everyone had their booths set up. And of course the climbing team had their booth set up at the rock wall. And I walk up and someone has to like put a harness on me and give me rental shoes. And I was like, I want to climb this one. And they're like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Like you probably want to start on like an easier one. And I was like, no, like I'm going to climb this one. It's like this five ten, <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> like, okay. Like whatever. And I, I mean, I am just like doing pull-ups of this thing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. Like I'm following the tape. Like I'm sending this thing. And I get to one point and there's like not really any feet and someone yells at me like, oh, like just smear on the wall. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't Anyway, I figured out I sent this 510 and like immediately got <laughs> recruited to join the like collegiate climbing team. Your first, so, cl- your first pitch ever. <laughs> I think I, I think I'd done in like sixth grade. I don't know. I'd, I'd like climbed once or twice but someone's birthday party or something yeah yeah (laughs) wow wow that's a hell of a pitch for uh for gymnastics is training for climbing yeah there's definitely a lot of translation 
I wanted to ask you this. Did you, with the back injury, was part of you ever hopeful that you would recover and come back to gymnastics or was it just really clear that gymnastics was done at that point? Definitely like throughout the recovery, I still, I don't know. I still had hopes of, it was like the middle of the competition season. Like it was Mm. a kind of brutal time for it to happen. I definitely, for a long time, my goal and like throughout the whole recovery process was like, I'm coming back. Like, you know, I'd, I'd like go to the gym and like hang out with the team. And as soon as I could, I'd start like, I don't I mean, I started out like walking in a swimming pool for my recovery. And then mm. it was like, you know, I could do these little like micro conditioning things, you know, after a couple months. And the goal for a long time was definitely coming back just because I, that was all I knew. Like there was, I didn't know I could do anything else. Like there's, I don't know. I just didn't like have a sense of the world outside of gymnastics. Yeah. So yeah, for a long time, I thought I was coming back. And then eventually both in the interest of long-term health and just, I mean, like I wasn't going to the Olympics. Like I wasn't the best of the best. It's like, you know, maybe it's time to walk away. Mm. Man, that is something I am so appreciative of with climbing is that we don't have to think that way. Because I grew up doing other sports, not gymnastics, but, you know, soccer, baseball, track, things like that. And you, with all those like conventional team sports and, and sports that you experience in college or sorry, high school for most of us and college, I guess, there's like this clear ending point. It's like if you don't make the pros, if you don't make the Olympics, then... It's like really weird to keep doing it. You know, you don't know any Uh adults that keep doing gymnastics full time that are like, yeah, pretty good. (laughs) Maybe they are. Maybe there are like whole communities of people out there. Maybe there's podcasts about it. I have no idea. (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. It seems more rare at least. And then, you know, baseball, it's like you don't make the minors, you don't make the pros. I don't know. You play like Sunday night softball and drink beer while you're doing it and things like that. And I just, I'm so, I feel so lucky. I don't know. I wonder if you feel this way. I feel so lucky to have found a sport climbing with all these amazing examples of people climbing into their 60s and climbing really hard into their 60s. And there's so many ways to pivot within the sport and continue to have new adventures and new challenges as your physical Mm -hmm. abilities ebb and flow and, and, you know, progress and wane and things like that. It's so cool. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, like a really neat thing about climbing is that it is a lifetime sport. And for the large part, it's like fairly low impact on your body, which is good for me. Like my body's kind of wrecked from doing that many years of gymnastics and like to have a low impact sport that I can push myself really, really hard and not be getting injured for the large part is, I really appreciate that. Do you think it's helped like as climbing? What was your back like when you started as far as the injury status of your back? Uh, were you fully recovered? Has climbing helped with any of those injuries or imbalances or things from gymnastics if there were any? Yeah, it's uh, the back is, I mean, it's stable. It's still like, I don't know. It like hurts pretty much all the time. Like I'm really bad <laughs> at like oh, long man. car rides. Yeah, like sitting Dang. in a car for a long time is like brutal. But, uh, partly because I just really like to move, but partly because my back always hurts, but I definitely, I mean, climbing has given me a reason to like keep a really strong core, which is helpful and, you know, kind of just maintain 
a really good general fitness, which I think is helpful with, you know, like a lifetime of having had a back injury. Mm -hmm. And then what was the story with your ankles? I thought that had been an injury from gymnastics. Um, Yeah, it was actually, it was like an old, again, kind of just like a pounding overuse over time injury from gymnastics didn't really manifest until a couple years later at which point like i don't know it had hurt, like it was it's just my right ankle but it had like hurt for a while but not super bad slash i have a really high pain tolerance so i didn't like pay attention to it finally went and got it uh looked at had an mri on it and the doctor was like yeah like we need to do surgery on this like right away like oh wow it's it's not in a stable position like my my navicular bone but it's like the bone between your ankle and your foot Um, it's just like a little small bone it gets super bad blood flow which is why i ended up having two surgeries on it because it didn't heal well the first time anyway that yeah residual from gymnastics but it ended up being like a multi-year process of finally getting it fixed wow and what is the status now you just have to be careful bouldering yeah it's good now i'm not like eventually at some point I'm going to have arthritis in it. Like it'll kind of decline over time, but right. Like right now it's great. Like I'm able to run, I'm able to climb like toe in on an edge super hard. Like it's, it's not an issue at all right now, but yeah, just, you know, not landing on it from super high boulders over and over (laughs) is better. Yeah. (laughs) Better than not doing that. I just have to be smarter about choosing like the low hanging traverses instead of the high balls. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Those are fun. I love low balls. Yeah. No, I mean, there's plenty of boulders that I can do and be smart about it. So, (laughs) um, I had a couple questions from, uh, Martin and Ainsley that kind of both were similar and something I was curious about too. What are some of the strengths or skills, anything from gymnastics um, specifically that you built through all that time that you think has served you the most in climbing, if anything comes to mind? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, One thing I think is just the ability to work super hard for a long time before it pays off. Uh, I think that's a really valuable skill kind of in life and in climbing is, yeah, just the ability to work super hard for like a long-term goal. And then uh, I guess physically like body awareness, I think I have a fairly intuitive sense of like, oh, I need to like turn my hips in or flag a foot out. Just, I think the like general body awareness of like kind of knowing what position is going to feel good and make a move feel easier maybe. And then definitely like the upper body and core strength, like I guess watching other people climb, but comparatively, I realize I, I I don't have the strongest fingers or, you know, kind of this like innate climbing ability, but I think I'm able to compensate to some degree, like with my shoulder strength and core strength, like I'm able to do moves in a different way rather than just like, you know, like heinous crimps. I think that's helpful. And then also the flexibility, like, I'm able to use really high feet. I'm able to keep my hips into the wall. Yeah, I guess those would be the key things. 
Are there any exercises from your gymnastics days that you feel are still important? Are there any that you've continued to do as a climber? Yeah, I try to be really good about doing like a day of oppositional exercises pretty much every, like at least once a week, um, largely for injury prevention, but also just kind of to be like more balanced in general. So like push-ups or tricep dips, or I'll do like a ring workout pretty often. And then definitely keeping the strong core. So yeah, a lot of like kind of functional core exercises, like on the rings and different things like that. Will you do that on a climbing day or on a rest day? Quote, quote, rest day. (laughs) Uh, A lot of times I'll do it. Yeah. Kind of on the rest day or like, yeah, like the night before a rest day after a climbing day. Okay. And how do you do rings living on the road in a van? I know you're in a house right now, but you spend most of your time living on the road in a van. Do you have a rig with your van? Do you like hook them up to a tree at a campsite? How do you do the rings? Yeah, we can put them on a tree. I guess most of the time when we're out, I'm more so doing like the push-ups and I don't know, figuring out some way to do like tricep dip or something like that. It's just like more body, you know, you don't need an extra tool, but just do something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then when it comes to, you know, going back to this comment that you had earlier about reading a lot of Steve Bechtel's stuff and being excited, maybe excited is not the right word, but um, looking forward to a training season that's more focused, working on specific weaknesses. What are some of those weaknesses and what are some of those exercises that you think will help you address weaknesses that you have as a climber to take you to your next level? I would definitely identify finger strength as a weakness. You know, I've, I've hangboarded intermittently, you know, a couple times here and there and, but I've never committed to like a, a whatever, like a cycle of hangboarding consistently. And I think, yeah, developing finger strength will be a big thing moving forward for me, especially looking at like the long-term climbing career. Like, you know, if I want to still have good finger strength in my forties, I I need to start working on that now and like laying that foundation. I think I've never really been a powerful climber. Like I'm pretty bad at dynamic movement definitely better at the like static control. Like I can lock off very far, but I can't jump to save my life. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So working on, yeah, I guess just being like a little more explosive. And I, I think I'm capable of it, but I think I need to learn the coordination, like, like neurally, I need to Mm. put that together, you know, like how to use my body in that way. So I think I practice and uh, yeah, I don't know. He, Steve Bechtel lays out like a really good cycle of like a strength and a power and a power endurance. And then gives examples of those different exercises and like climbing specific exercises that you can do to help develop those different facets of climbing. So I don't know. I've been reading his book and I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty stoked to work on putting together a bit of a plan. Is this logical progression? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The nonlinear thing. Yeah. I um, appreciate that. It's like, 
I do, I do want to go out and climb all the time. Like I don't want to be in the gym for three months at a time, just training. You yeah. know, I do want to go out and climb. So yeah, I appreciate that approach to it. Yeah. It's really, it's so interesting. I mean, when, when I was in Bend climbing at Smith a lot, I tried all the things. Like I tried so many different approaches to climbing and there's a distinct on and off season there. You know, you you got spring and fall are really good. Summer's yeah. too hot. People climb, but it's just greasy. And, um, or it's like trad climbing in the gorge, just at a much reduced difficulty level. And then winter is like, you can climb, but it's kind of a pain. You're like climbing in the sun because it's really cold, but sometimes it's like you're numbing out and greasing off at the same time somehow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I've tried all the things and it's interesting. I think one thing I've realized, which I don't totally understand, is that if I, when I've taken distinct training seasons, like off seasons to train and get stronger, I definitely achieve better results in the gym, like better numbers on the hangboard, better results with my lifts and things like that. Yeah. But it, it doesn't seem to apply to climbing better than just doing a little bit of training mixed into a weekly rotating cycle. Like for example, okay. training midweek and climbing on the weekends. Right. Um, yeah. I've never achieved the same like numbers on the hangboard doing something non-linear like that, but it, it readily applies to climbing. And I feel like my fingers, like I just noticed the holds feeling better, bigger on the wall when I'm climbing each weekend. It's, it's really, yeah, I don't totally understand that, but it's, it's interesting. That's really cool though. I mean, to yeah. like find something that is successful for you is huge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. I'll, I'll be excited to circle back with you and hear how it goes and hear about your experience with it. When are you planning to do that? Kind of like now through, I guess, like mid-March. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to be in Washington that whole time? No, I'll be here through mid-February and then back in Colorado for another month. Okay. Yeah. And it sounds like you plan to mix in some tension boarding too. Yeah. Yeah. Connor's <laughs> dad is a old school trad dad climber. So, uh, we're excited to build a tension board and get him projecting some <laughs> some tension board climbs. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about a few things from your Instagram profile. Um, just because they, they all, I looked at your Instagram profile and each of these little lines that kind of summarizes you or whatever you wanted to put there, they just each caught my interest in a different way and brought questions to mind. And your first one was about being an energy expenditure enthusiast. I think those are the words that you used, which I love yeah. that it paints such a picture. And you've already mentioned that a few times in this conversation. But one thing I remember from our first conversation is you talked about how, of course, that's a double-edged sword. That's something you have to think about when you're projecting a hard route and have to actually rest, but you, you know, you can't sit still. You want to get energy out all the time. And yeah. I just have a little two-liner quote here that just says, rest nights. <laughs> Uh, can, can you tell me about rest nights versus rest days? <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of a joke, but I don't, I guess I like to joke that I take rest nights instead of rest days. I think we're at, I think we're intensely one time. And, uh, I don't, I was just joking around with someone that they're like, I like, I'm gonna try, try a project again, but you know, like I'm going to take a rest day and then come back fresh and. I said something like, dude, like you have the whole rest night, like just try it again tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it was something like that. And 
and it kind of stuck but you've got tw- uh, more than 12 hours <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh i don't i think i rested really well until like 10 a.m and then i'm kind of over it <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. How do you balance getting energy out with recovering to try a hard project? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I think I'm still learning the balance. I definitely don't have it dialed. Um, I, I Yeah, I don't know. I am a person with just like a ton of energy. Like, I don't know. I tell Connor, I'm like a dog. Like you have to take me out for a walk every day or else like, you're going to have to clean up my mess in the house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know. There's just like so much energy in me that it has to, I have to get rid of all the time, which is a good thing. But I, I do recognize that in order to perform like at the high end of my current ability, I do have to provide adequate rest and my, tendon strength doesn't always match up to my psych level Mm. and uh figuring out how to you know bring those two together is a challenge for me i don't know i have to kind of keep myself busy on rest days of like how to go for a run or a bike ride or ski or hike or something something physically active but then also i don't know i love to cook and i stay busy doing school like I just finished my master's so stay busy doing school or I don't know kind of these other things to keep me busy yeah I want to ask you about that too so the other thing is your master's in sports nutrition yeah Am I getting that right you just finished that in December mm-hmm. yeah I just finished what made you want to do that I uh, I think growing up in gymnastics and then transitioning to climbing I've kind of always been around these like weight sensitive sports where like weight is a factor, but there's also kind of this dark side of like, you see a lot of disordered eating and like a really negative approach to food and body weight. And I don't know, like kind of this detrimental effect on long-term health from being in these like very weight sensitive gravitational sports. And I've seen the negative effects like physically, mentally kind of all around that that can have on people, both in gymnastics and in climbing. And I, I don't know, it was definitely a personal interest, but also like wanting to be able to help other people use nutrition both to maximize performance, but also like as this tool to maximize health as well. Just like, I don't know, I guess bringing a more positive approach into that culture. Yeah. It sounds like from what I've read, you actually sent me an article that you wrote for Sterling Ropes called, I actually, I don't, I don't have the title right here, but it was about low energy availability and all the things that you're talking about. Like, I think you said something, the title was something along the lines of like, not eating enough is the biggest sandbag or something like that. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, the actual I title? I called it like the ultimate sandbag. The ultimate sandbag. Yeah. Did you have a personal experience with that or was this just, just something you were observing in other climbers and gymnasts and people around you? Uh, both. I think, I mean, I definitely 
as I started getting more serious about climbing, I definitely like got caught up in that mentality of like lightweight is the right weight. Like it's mm. better to, you know, feel like always being restrictive and not really feeling yourself adequately. And I think part of that was intentional and part of it was just not realizing like how much energy you're using on these days that you're out climbing and I guess just not having the knowledge to fuel myself properly but then yeah also just seeing this like really pervasive culture and climbing of this emphasis on low body weight and I mean it gets joked about it gets you know talked about all the time like you don't go to the crag and not hear someone be like oh you know if I was five pounds lighter I could send my project and Mm. not gonna eat that whatever afterwards and I don't know. It's just like a really negative approach all around. I'd love to ask how your approach has changed having done a master's and learned as much as you've learned. That's kind of funny. I think I asked you in our first conversation if you had any like food principles or anything that you stuck to. And I think you just said, I eat a lot. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I, I eat a lot. And that was kind of it, which I thought was great. But um, but yeah, what, what, how, how have you changed your own approach? What have you learned from that master's program that you apply to your own nutrition? Yeah, I think, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's a hard, it's definitely a hard topic in climbing. And I think it's, it is hard not to get caught up in the mindset that being lighter means being better. And I guess for me, what I've taken away is like, what always overrides wanting to be lighter is like wanting to feel like I have energy to pursue what I want to do. Yeah. For, I think for a long time, I, I was like way more restrictive with food intake. And I, I don't know, I had like, I would always tell myself like, stay hungry. And I, I think I meant that both in terms of like always wanting to achieve more, but also like not wanting to eat too much. And I don't I know. I guess I recognize that I was always like tired and irritable and just like generally dragging, like didn't have energy to get through a workout or a day of climbing. And I was like, that's like not me. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I like, didn't like, I recognize it, but I didn't really like put two and two together. Um, I think as I started learning more about sports nutrition, I kind of became more aware of this emphasis on low body weight in the climbing culture. And I started to like advocate for those around me to feel themselves better. You know, like I knew the concept and I was able to communicate that to other people. But I think for a long time, I didn't really apply that to myself. You know, it was like, what I'm doing is working, like restricting what I eat is working. Mm. Being fatigued all the time. is just like, oh, I'm working super hard. Um, Even though it was like very clear to me, talking to other people like what I was telling other people was not what I was telling myself I guess yeah yeah I think kind of like slowly I started changing that you know adding adding more food in and eating like a wider variety of food and you know actually responding to like um I'm hungry I'm tired like maybe I should eat something instead of just kind of ignoring that and pushing through it so I, I don't know I think I'm still learning but just one of the biggest things I've taken away is like 
the importance of feeling adequately both for energy and like anytime you're like trying to improve like build muscle or build strength like you have to be giving your body enough calories like you can't get stronger if you're not eating enough food like it just doesn't work like that's not how physiology works and just the the prevalence of intentional or unintentional under fueling like i think it's really really common for climbers to just not like realize how much they could be consuming like without gaining weight like there's this Mm. really big gap between like what you can eat and maintain weight and like i'm probably not gonna say this very well but like you can eat this you know 1200 calories and survive like you're gonna be okay but you could probably be eating like 1700 calories you know like adding like 500 calories in there and that's a super low example that probably should have been like more like 1800 to like 2600 should have been the range but like there's this huge gap between like what you can be eating and surviving and what you can be eating and like not gaining weight but have way more energy Mm. and like you're able to do so much more because you're fueling your body better Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess i kind of changed that phrase that i would always tell myself of like stay hungry i i try to say more now like stay fueled like Mm. i have way more energy to do what i do like a big day out doesn't really phase me and I can do multiple days in a row of like really high energy expenditure. Um, I'm healthier. I don't get sick as often. Like there's less injuries. I'm a more pleasant person to be around. Like those are the things I want. Like that's, what's important to me rather than being like three pounds lighter, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I can relate to all this. I, I see, I mean, I've been guilty of this too. I think, yeah, I was incredibly, entrenched in this mindset for a long time, but there's so much reductionism in nutrition and in the way that we all think about it before we learn more or make these mistakes and learn from them. And like the calories in calories out thing is so oversimplified all the time. I mean, it's like thermo, it's thermodynamics and it's true, but what gets missed in that is how our metabolism changes, how our hormones change and upregulate or downregulate and your body's doing so much more rad shit when you give it more energy to do stuff with, you know, like that makes all the difference in the world. And that really gets missed. And like you said, that can be like a 600, 800, maybe thousand calorie difference uh, without your weight changing because your body's just upregulating all these things. And you're, you're putting out so much more energy in the energy out Mm -hmm. side of the equation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, like, if you have the energy to train for an extra hour because you, you know, ate a snack before, like you're getting way more out of that in terms of progressing as a climber than you would be if you were a couple pounds lighter, mm-hmm. you know, like that ability to sustain doing more training more over years, as opposed to chronically restricting your energy. Like you're going to be a way better climber at the end of a couple of years where you've trained an extra three hours each week mm. than you would be if you were five pounds lighter totally. at the end of two years. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That strategy doesn't have very much life in it, does it? <laughs> you no, get a little lighter, so. you get better for like a month or two, and then you just like, that's as good as you're ever going to get. It's really hard to right. get stronger. And, yeah. yeah. That's the problem is like, 
losing weight as a climber works for a couple weeks or a month, you know, maybe even longer, like you do see a benefit from it and you feel lighter on the wall, but then it just becomes this like super negative cycle of doing that chronically for years. You see climbers doing this like chronically restricting calories. And like at some point along the way, you stop getting like, you stop being able to get stronger. Like you're not making the gains that you would be if you were fueling adequately. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like to, this is like an example that I think is really poignant it's like if you bench press and you're training at 150 pounds like you get really strong like you're able to do that and if you drop weight to 125 pounds of course it's going to feel easier but eventually like your body adapts back down to 125 pounds you don't maintain 150 pound bench press strength Mm. if you're benching at 125 pounds like you mean the actual the actual weight on the bar yeah. 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 Using totally. Weight make you a stronger climber. It makes you a better or a lighter climber. Yeah. It doesn't improve your technique or your mentality, you know? Right. Man, I really experienced that firsthand and can speak to that too. Um, Cause I lost a lot of weight at Smith and then have regained it. And there was a couple of years there where I didn't even have to train. Like I was just climbing. I'd regained weight. I was like kind of adapting to a heavier body and, had more muscle and was kind of recomping and things. And it was kind of awesome. Like I was getting way stronger from just climbing in a heavier body. It was like I was training with a weight vest on. And if anything, I had to be really careful and I screwed this up because um, it is risky. Like you have more weight on your tendons and fingers and things like that. But once I got through that, just my baseline of strength climbing at body weight was so much higher than it was when I was, you know, quote, at my peak at Smith mm-hmm. Rock. Just you know, floating up the wall in tiny little holds, but right. yeah, weak as a kitten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something you wrote in your article is that I think you said you thought you, you think that you eat probably 750 to a thousand extra calories on a climbing day or training day versus yourself like two years ago. I could be screwing up the timeline there, but I think you said something, along, something like that yeah. along those lines. Um, do you track calories? Do you track macros or anything? Do you have a sense of like where you were and where you're at now with any of that stuff? I really don't, definitely don't like track calories at all on a day to day or yeah, at all. There's a couple of things I try to focus on as far as, yeah, I guess like macronutrients of what I'm eating kind of on a day to day basis. I largely I eat plant based because I like eating that way. Not saying that is like how everyone has to eat, but I like eating mostly plant-based. I do try as far as protein, this can get really sciencey. And if people are interested, they should definitely reach out to me and we can like actually talk about the science of this, but. Hey, this is a geeky podcast. Go for it. Yeah. (laughs) What has been, what research has shown is like the optimal protein intake for muscle protein synthesis. So like not saying like getting bulky, but just like building strength, getting stronger is 20 to 25 grams of protein every three to four hours. Like research has pretty uniformly shown that that's like optimal protein intake. It's like spread throughout the day. Yeah. Like four to five meals throughout the day. 
of having this protein like dose as if you want to think about it like that so i try to i try to do that well so having like a breakfast mid-morning snack afternoon meal and a dinner um i tried to do that well of getting like 20 to 25 grams of protein at least in each of those can i ask what are some of your favorite sources following a mostly plant-based approach yeah um I do a lot of tofu and like soy protein um, and then beans, lentils, kind of like your normal things that you would think of on a like plant-based protein, I guess. Most mornings I'll have like a smoothie with a scoop of protein powder and that's just like an easy way to start the day. Yeah, those are some of the main ones, I guess. Mm-hmm. Nuts, seeds. I really like pumpkin seeds right now. That's okay. Kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's been a good snack. And then carbohydrate. I definitely, I, I don't know. I don't like try to restrict carbohydrate, I guess. But I definitely focus on having it around exercise. So like before, mm. during, and after like a training session, if it's, you know, more condensed before, definitely like before, during, and after, but then, you know, if I'm out like on a climbing trip, you know, you're out climbing all day or whatever, like I, I'll eat carbs just like throughout the day, trying to keep that energy level up, which again, I can go into the science of why carbohydrate is important. If anyone is interested in talking to me about it after this, I'm happy to talk about it later. And then I don't know. One of the big things is just like including a variety of food, like try new things. Go every time you go to the store, like get a new vegetable, try a new fruit, like, Mm. you know, just like having this wide variety of different whole foods, especially. So I kind of avoid like super processed food, but I don't know, tons of fruits and veggies and grains mostly it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask that if you had any recommendations for people as far as, I mean, I guess any general recommendations would be great, but then food quality in particular, any specific things that you try to include or try to avoid or anything like that? Yeah. I, yeah, as far as include, I guess, I don't know. I just like a ton of fresh fruits and veggies and I love to cook and try different, I don't know, try and like add a different vegetable or something that I haven't used before fairly often just to, I don't know, keep things interesting. The more just like whole foods you can eat, the better, like less packaged and processed and yeah, think less, the less things that like come in a prepared box or bag, the better, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, just a variety of real food. And do any other recommendations come to mind? Like when you think back to becoming interested in nutrition and noticing these patterns in friends of yours, you know, that you saw that were underfueling either intentionally or not, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to those people? You know, maybe just eat more, but anything more nuanced or more uh, specific than that? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard to tell someone just, especially a climber or someone in like a weight, weight sensitive sport, it's hard to tell them just like go eat more. Like there's a lot more wrapped up in that, like psychologically and everything. I think you, 
I don't know, you have to approach it like a, like you're saying, like a little more nuanced than that. I think a big shift in mentality is focusing like less emphasis on a weight goal and more emphasis on a performance goal. So instead of like, oh, I want to lose five pounds, like let's think of it as like, oh, I want to send that 13A at the crag, you know? And if you're, if what you're doing is making you strong, like if you're, if you're able to train and get stronger and send that 13A without losing five pounds, like that's awesome. You know, like let's focus on that performance goal, not on the weight goal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I, I get that gravity is real and carrying extra weight makes it harder to pull yourself up a wall. But I think like you said, there's, it's too like simplistic or like reductionist to say that just losing weight makes you a better climber. Like maybe, maybe it makes you feel project, like it makes the project feel easier in the short term, but at some point that chronic under eating, it will lead to a negative effect on your performance and health. And yeah, again, like I'd be happy if anyone wants to talk about like low energy availability or red S in athletes. Like I'd be happy to talk to anyone about that later on, but yeah, just like avoiding that cycle of like, Oh, I'm, I restricted, I lost weight, I'm climbing hard, but then you plateau. So like, obviously I'm not doing it well enough now. Like I got to do more just like, I don't know, avoiding that cycle is really important. I think one of the most like relevant examples is when I was in Yosemite, I was climbing with a bunch of different people and like without fail, every partner was like, may would make some comment of like, man, like your snack game is really on point or like mm. you really eat a lot, you know, or something like that. And I, w- I would always suggest like, yeah, like you should try it. Like we're out <laughs> here all day. Like you're using a ton of energy. Like you should tr- like next time we climb, like bring an extra couple bars, you know, bring some dried fruit, some trail mix, whatever. Like yeah. just try it. It's like, see how you feel. And like across the board, people would report back like, Oh, I like, I had so much energy. I climbed harder. I like, I felt better the next day. Like that's a win to me. Like if you felt better and had more energy because you brought some trail mix up on the wall with you, like that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that you're saying and reading that article, it reminded me a lot. It's very in line with uh, a conversation that I had with Tom Herbert. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom, but yeah, the useful coach, Uh um, really great guy he has and some really good podcasts also yeah oh yeah like the climb side yeah him and brian rigby yeah if i was to recommend a nutrition climbing related podcast to anyone brian rigby and tom herbert's climb side i think their website is climbingnutrition.com. like if you are at all interested in climbing nutrition those are the guys i would listen to awesome Awesome. I will link to that for people in the show notes of this episode. Um, But yeah, Tom's whole thing is like, it's almost like this game that climbers play with nutrition, but flip-flopped, you know, like we all, we we all start and and grow up in this culture playing this game of like, what's the least amount of food I can get away with. And he Mm -hmm. flips that around. He's like, well, let's do the opposite. What's the most amount of food you can get away with? Like Uh how much can you possibly eat without gaining unnecessary body fat? Right. 
but let's let's max that out. Let's creep that up over time and and add more calories and just see how much energy and recovery and repair and strength we can get mm-hmm. out of this system um, without just you know eating junk food and going totally overboard. But it's awesome. I mean, I'll speak anecdotally for myself. I've been trying that for the last maybe six months or so. And I mean, it, it's made a huge difference. I really feel like I'm, I'm thriving and, and improving at this body weight more than maybe I ever have in my climbing. And I'm not training harder or smarter than I ever have before. Like I've had some very, very rigorous periods of climbing where I think I was doing all the right things and just very frustrated with my results in the past. And this time around, it's like, oh, all those same things are working. <laughs> They're working better because cool. I'm eating yeah. more and eating enough and um, I can climb all day. And I'm like you said, I can train an extra hour or, or two per week. And that adds up a lot over time. Right. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. And the other thing, I this will be kind of a teaser. I've thought about doing a solo episode about this because I'm still kind of in the midst of like discovery and, and self-experimentation. But I kind of have a history of being a little carbohydrate phobic and that comes from some blood work that I've done on myself and some experimentation and having some like fasted glucose and A1C numbers that freaked me out a little bit and um, anyway long story but long story short I've come to discover that I think all of that comes down to a food sensitivity that I have that I hadn't diagnosed like I think I'm allergic to something that I've been eating that huh. is causing some sort of like a cortisol response and is oh, and is jacking up my blood sugar. Yeah, and I've I've been on like kind of a like a very stripped down almost elimination diet, very like paleo, just eating like meat and nuts and fruits and veggies, but eating like quite a lot of fruit, like eating a lot of carbohydrate enough to fuel my climbing. Okay. And everything's looking really great. So there's something I haven't identified. I think it might be eggs. I'm not 100% sure yet. I'm still kind of looking into that. But anyway, something um, to keep in mind for people. It's it's complex. It's really the whole it's nutrition topic complex. is, Yeah. it's so individual and it's so complex. And, um, you know, for a lot of us, I think some self-experimentation is just kind of part of the, part of the mm-hmm. process. But, but yeah, anyway, so it's, it's kind of awesome. I'm like, oh, carbs are... Carbs weren't the problem. <laughs> I was I was wrong yeah. about that. Yeah. It is, yeah, so individual. And it it does take some effort to kind of figure out what works for you. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. If people are at all interested in reaching out, like I'd be happy to answer questions and bounce ideas off me. So where is a good place for people to reach you? Uh Instagram at amity.warm. Or email, same thing, amity.warm at gmail.com. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess one of the most things I want to like most emphasize is that I'm happy for people to contact me and like, I'm like more than willing to like engage in interactions with people. So awesome. Very yeah. cool. Do you do nutrition coaching? Is that part of how you make a living? Actually, I don't know this about you. How do you, how do you make a living? <laughs> Are you working on the road? How do you do that? eventually the goal is to yeah do nutrition counseling as uh like either individually or kind of working with teams um that's kind of the end goal of the whole nutrition masters and everything um i worked a bunch i was like managed a climbing gym while connor was in grad school and then while i've been in grad school connor has done carpentry work so 
we live pretty cheaply. So we're able to like save up and live pretty cheaply in the van. He, Connor is actually now teaching himself coding and I, yeah, I'm pursuing the nutrition career. So hopefully both will be able to work on the road going forward. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. That's awesome. I have to ask you about your snack game since you mentioned it. I got a couple questions about this as well, and I'll read one from Rob. How does Amity modify her nutrition for big wall projects? How does she plan her nutrition for big wall, multi-day ascents, things like that? So yeah, yeah, tell me about your snack game and your your big wall food strategy. That's a great question. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you like what I was eating on a daily basis up on perfect yeah perfect like both free rider and golden gate so i had packed like prior to going up on the wall i packed myself these just like in a freezer quart size freezer uh ziploc bag i'd packed my breakfasts and dinners because you can pour like hot boiling water into those bags and just cook it in the bag so it's like super minimal like extra space i guess Uh, So for breakfast, I was doing like a homemade bag of oatmeal with a scoop of protein powder, some dried fruit, cinnamon, chia seeds, just kind of like a nice oatmeal mix every morning. And then I would just snack throughout the day, like while I was belaying, when I was hauling, whatever I would snack on. Mostly like dried fruit. So uh, I guess favorites were like figs dates mango like dried mango uh just like bags of those are pretty easy to take up on the wall and then some sort of like salty nuts or seeds so yeah like i really like pumpkin seeds or some kind of trail mix the salt always tastes really good when you're up on the wall and it's hot and you're sweating and whatever that's really nice and then some kind of bars one of my my favorite is actually enduro bites which is this like colorado based company they make these like all natural kind of like cliff bar but more like i don't know they're just like individual like batch made Mm. bars Uh, they're super good uh so those are my favorite and then i don't know when you're up on the wall you're just eating like a ton of bars and other things so at some point you kind of stop worrying about taste and <laughs> trying to get calories in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, pretzels, granola, those are all like easy snacks to take up there. And then dinner, I would also make a homemade bag of like a soba noodle. Those like Asian noodles that cook super quickly. Mm. Um, with, you can get this like, dehydrated soy protein which sounds super gross um (laughs) but it it doesn't actually taste like anything so you just like throw in some seasonings and it tastes like whatever it's in with so that would be like my protein the noodles would be the carbs and then i would put in like like dehydrated vegetables and a bunch of seasoning and that would be my dinner yeah pretty simple but enough yeah it's interesting. It sounds like kind of high or, or moderate high protein, pretty high carbohydrate, and maybe low fat. Do you do you get much fat in your diet? Yeah, I think, I guess like up on the big wall, like the example there would mostly be like the trail mix, 
Mm, uh, some kind of nuts and seeds. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know. A lot of fat is like hard to bring. I don't know. I guess you can bring like peanut butter, but a lot of fatty sources are kind of hard to bring. I don't know. Like oil of any kind is kind of messy. Right. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't know. I'm just saying both climbers or both partners that I climbed with on El Cap ate the like tasty bite packages for every meal. And most people like swear by those, but I'm just saying both of their stomachs were upset by the end of the time on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It takes practice figuring out what works for you. What else do we have on our list here? Amity, we've been talking for two hours. Look at that. I know this is the longest I've talked to anyone in the last like, year. <laughs> Combined. Combined. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, it's been super fun. I, also, I get that comment um, quite a lot. Climbers don't necessarily love to talk about themselves or just talk. It, it, it's all, I mean, like anything, it's all across the, the map. But a lot of people that are drawn to high-level climbing usually just like they're with one person or they're off in the woods by themselves underneath a boulder problem and, and they're used to being alone and you of course just live with one person in your van and are out there most of the time so yep. <laughs> it's good though it's good for me to like practice social interaction I'm not <laughs> the best at doing that all the time <laughs> what is your next climbing goal big thing is yosemite in uh like march and april um, yeah, I really want to try El Corazon. No idea how it'll go, but I'm psyched to go give her, awesome. see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, kind of want to focus on being a little more specific in training over the next, whatever, two months, I guess. I'll still get outside. We're hoping for some good index days here in nice. February, maybe if it stops raining. Oh but. yeah. That'd be good prep for Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find a way to do some calf training for that uh, stemming corner. I know. Seriously. <laughs> Just like walk around on my toes all day. <laughs> uh, what is something you are working on or learning about or an area that you are challenging yourself outside of climbing? Um, I'm actually starting an internship. So the next step in the process of getting my registered dietitian license to be able to like officially be a, like do nutrition counseling is to get the registered dietitian license. So the next step for that is doing this it's like a year long internship. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I start that, or I guess I am starting that right now, uh, doing several different rotations in various areas of nutrition, uh, like supervised practice. So that'll be keeping me busy for the next year or so. Cool. I should have asked this earlier. Are you able and are you taking clients right now with nutrition? Yeah, I, I haven't taken anyone in like an official capacity. I've worked with several athletes just, yeah, like answering questions and looking at their different needs and nutrition histories. I've worked with several people. Um, I yeah, haven't really taken anyone in like an official capacity, but I feel like now that I'm done with my master's and moving forward with this, I would 
be psyched to work with anyone. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Again, I'll, I'll be sure to link to your contact info in the show yeah, notes for people to reach out to you. And finally, I had asked you when we talked last time, if there was anything, if there was anything that would really make this conversation feel like a home run for you, anything that you really wanted to, to put out there or for people to take away. And you talked about just wanting to empower people. And yeah. I have a question about that and, and what you hope to do um, or what you would hope to how you would hope to empower people, I guess. But before that, I want to ask you, who inspires you? Like, who do you look to for inspiration? Who has inspired or empowered you in your life? This could be an athlete, a climber, or totally unrelated to climbing. I knew you were going to ask this. So I've been thinking about it. I think I'm not someone who has to like go watch the latest climbing video and like, I don't know. I don't have to like I don't know, stay up on Mello's YouTube or whatever to like be psyched, you know, like I have enough like inherent psych that I, I don't, I feel like inspired and motivated pretty much like almost all the time to go try hard. But I think what's most inspiring to me is seeing anyone out there, anyone like a professional athlete to like your most recreational climber, but someone out there with like a positive attitude just getting after it, like trying hard, whether that's a five, seven or a five fourteen. like if you are pushing yourself to try as hard as you can, like that's awesome. And I, that makes me super psyched. And then anyone with like a really positive attitude. And I think like this confidence or belief in their ability to do something like I tend to get like pretty hard on myself kind of discouraged easily if I'm not performing maybe to my expectations of myself. And I, I think seeing people who are able to just like maybe get kind of shut down or like flail on something and be like, Oh, like, yeah, I can do that. Mm. Like, wow. Like, man, I need to channel some of that. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, Like way to believe in yourself. So I don't know. That's really inspiring to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Same. I can, I can like see it. I can picture it and feel it as you're describing it. I have that too. And I think I'm someone who probably tends to have too high of expectations for myself, just to like an immature or like unhealthy degree that's not really mm -hmm. productive, you know? And I, I, right. I really do. It really stands out to me when I see someone who's just like, throwing themselves at something and it's it's not going perfectly maybe they haven't done all the moves yet and they're like yes i can't wait to come back i did like one of the moves you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> and i downplay everything and i like i'm like yeah it went okay i'm like psyched that i did all the moves but god that's hard and it's like uh-huh why, why do i do that <laughs> why, why is that uh -huh. my natural reaction instead of bringing more positivity and celebration to the process and to those little little wins right so yeah i think that's something for me to work on is like, sh yeah, shifting that, like, oh, I did all the moves, but it's really hard to being like, oh, like I did all the moves, like it's possible, mm -hmm. you know, just that shift is like, it's pretty small, but it's really powerful. I think. Totally. Yeah. So totally. Awesome. And then in what ways do you hope to inspire or empower other people? I think, I mean, I love climbing for a lot of reasons and like, I'm always going to be out there 
given it my all, but I think like my biggest contribution to the climbing world is just like being a positive presence in whatever arena I'm in, you know, whatever like climbing community that I'm a part of and yeah, encouraging people to try their hardest and be willing to go for a big goal for them and believe in themselves. And maybe I'm not the best at doing that myself, but I think I'm good at encouraging other people to do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just like not really being willing to settle for less than your best. Like I, I know that you're capable of that. Like I know I, like I see that in you and I want to help bring that out, you know, Mm -hmm. that. And then I think the like positive approach to food and body weight, just, yeah, trying to shift that conversation. I love that. That's, that is, that has the potential to be truly life-changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have any more writing planned? You're a good writer. I enjoyed that article you. that you wrote. I'll, <laughs> I'll share that for people that want to read it, but yeah. Any future plans for, for writing or blogging or anything? Um, there's a couple companies that I've like worked with to write some articles for Sterling and, uh, working on something for Scarpa right now, just another blog post, but I don't love writing. I think the end process or that like the end product turns out well for me, but I, it is a hard process. Like it's like projecting a hard route for me. Like I got to do it over and over and over again yeah. to, <laughs> to refine the product. And it doesn't really come naturally to me. Yeah. So I think it's a skill I'd like to work on, but yeah, it's not like a inherent talent. Mm-hmm. You're someone with high standards for yourself, I can tell. And it shows, it shows in the finished product, but yeah, it, it, it makes the, the process torturous sometimes. I can, yeah. <laughs> I can kind of relate yeah. to the same thing. I think another, just another like addition to that, I don't know what I want to like leave with people is, I think what's important to me is just like being authentic in the way I tell the story and share the process. Like my climbing, like Yosemite was a high point for sure. But like my climbing isn't all sins and victory. Like there's a lot of hard work and a lot of failure mixed in there as well. And just like, I don't know, it's easy to see the high points in other people's achievements, but just like letting people know that there is this other side of like having challenges and failing on things. And I don't know, that's like a part of the process and it's okay. And Mm. yeah, sticking through that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's a super powerful part of the process to share. doesn't get shared enough. It's yeah, it's a hard, it's hard to share that side of things. It's so much easier when you've checked the box and you have the cool Mm -hmm. photo and you can just say, I did this thing. It's harder to shape a story around the struggle and and the fight and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But Every single strong climber I know goes through it. You know, none of them are just hitting home runs every time they go climbing. It's always failures and um, reflection and learning from what went wrong or or what could have gone better or what they could be better prepared for next time. And and then yeah. just the tenacity to address those things and come back, you know, a, a better version of themselves, a more prepared version of themselves the next time around to hopefully have a better go. But 
Yeah, definitely. Amity, this has been so fun. Really good to get to know you better and to talk. Um, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. And I'd love to do it again. I'd love to follow up with you in a few months or, you know, six months after your training and after your next trip to Yosemite and hear how everything goes. Thanks. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome. I appreciate your time as well. And thanks again. Thanks to everyone for listening. Again, you can check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com for this episode. I'll link to Amity's article. I'll link to her Instagram and the post that I read earlier and some of her amazing photos. And I'll link to how you can connect with her and her email if you want to reach out and get nutrition advice or coaching from her. Thanks so much, you guys. And that's it. We will see you next time. Thanks, Steven. Hey, friends, before you go, don't forget to check out Crimped. Head over to crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store. The free version gives you access to 75 different workouts created by professional coaches Tom Randall and Ollie Tor of Lattice Training. And it's awesome. It's a super beautiful app. It's easy to use. There's videos and timers and everything you need right there in the app to make your training super easy. Once again, that's crimped, C-R-I-M-P-D.com or find the Crimped app on the App Store. Also, be sure to check out Fizzy Vantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day to support the tendons and ligaments in my fingers. And I think it even helps my skin heal faster, which is awesome. Makes sense. Skin is made of collagen. So yeah, I'm going to keep taking it. Head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout. You'll save 15% off your next order and enjoy some tasty collagen. And that is it, my friends. Thank you for listening to the very end. I appreciate all of you. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. We do it like we do it. We got the rise up. We put the hammer right down. Wanna be like us? You better stick around. If you want it, you gotta prove it. Like we do it. Like we do it. There's no one can do it like we do Like we do